0: and welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Nash, and on today's episode, we're speaking with filmmaker Julia Barnes, who at 16 years old picked up a camera, learned how to dive, and set out on a mission to explore current threats to our oceans in an award-winning film called Sea of Life. Her film won a number of awards at Cinema Verde, Echo Top Films, Envirofilm, Water Docs, Impact Docs, K Film, AM Film Festival, Forest City Film Festival, Earth Docs, and Environmental Film Festival Albania. Julia, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. The film provides breathtaking beauty of a world so different from our own cities. You did such an amazing job of capturing that. It was just captivating the whole way through. And you started this when you were 16. Yeah. How old are you now? 21. Awesome. I know that you got your inspiration from a film by Rob Stewart called Revolution. Yeah. And I actually watched that a couple days ago. What an impact that film makes as well. So I can see that it, it was very inspiring. What was it specifically about that documentary that inspired you back when you were 16?
1: Well, you know, I had always been in love with the natural world. But up until that point, I really had no idea that the world I loved was in jeopardy. So in Revolution, I learned for the first time that the world's coral reefs, rainforests, and fisheries are expected to be wiped out by 2048. And as a 16-year-old kid, learning that for the first time, that, that everything I love and everything we depend on is in jeopardy, it was like, okay, I've got to do something about it. this. I've got to do the biggest thing I can possibly think of. And so every plan that I had had for my life prior to that went out the window, and the only thing... That mattered to me from that moment onward was figuring out what I could do that would have the biggest impact. And it took me about a week to figure out that that was going to be making a movie.
0: That's incredible. That's amazing. And it's such a good film that you've made. And it's interesting because Rob says at one point in his video it's not about being a doctor or a lawyer or a secretary anymore, it's about how you're going to change the world. And I found that so inspiring. And that's exactly what you're doing.
1: Yeah, definitely. That's our task now. It's how are we going to change the world? Because really, that's all that matters. I mean, it's it's everything. It's life on Earth. is in jeopardy. So it's this crazy position that we're in. But I think we've got an enormous opportunity in all of this to live lives that are full of meaning and adventure and do some really exciting things and hopefully create a world that's beautiful for all species.
0: Absolutely. I think as we're getting more educated, and there's more information that we can all share on the web, we have more access to ideas of cleaning things up and doing things better and smarter and more ethically. So I agree that it we definitely have the potential to just have the best world we could ever have. But it's it's not there yet. And it's not heading there yet. And so we all need to sort of work together and fix this situation. And Rob Stewart also said in the beginning of his film that he set out to make a film to save sharks and that he's in way over his head. Mm -hmm. And Julia, this is how I feel with the zero waste movement too. So I set out to reduce waste and mindless consumption and single use plastics. And I've really discovered that I'm way in over my head, too, because the situation is so bad. It's way worse than I ever could have have imagined. And we all need to act right away. And, you know, the solutions are problematic. And there are a lot of things I learned from your film as well, especially about carbon. So Mm -hmm. what is carbon and where is it coming from and what is it doing to the oceans?
1: Sure. Well, carbon dioxide is released from the burning of fossil fuels, which happens in You know, pretty much every act within industrial civilization, you know, it's manufacturing, it's transportation, it's agriculture, it's cutting down forests and burning them, all this insane stuff that this civilization is doing right now. And what most people don't realize about carbon dioxide is that a lot of the carbon dioxide that we release into the atmosphere doesn't stay in the atmosphere. It gets absorbed into the ocean. And when that carbon dioxide gets absorbed into the ocean, it makes the ocean more acidic. And in a more acidic environment, any animal that builds a shell or a skeleton can't form. So that's most life in the ocean, including coral reefs and including the plankton, which produce two out of every three breaths we take. They produce the oxygen in in the air that we breathe. So this is an enormous problem for all life on the planet. I think ocean acidification is probably the biggest issue facing the planet right now.
0: Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I always knew that this carbon in the atmosphere was such a major problem. I find it difficult to grasp for Canadians because we are living in car cultures, most of us, mm-hmm. and we have to heat our homes with something. So I think, I think for Canadians, it's specifically a challenge of wrapping our head around how do we stop doing this stuff and still survive in a northern climate. So there's definitely some challenges up here. And also, we're we're a maritime nation, and a lot of people forget that. When I was in the Navy, we used to say that people had maritime blindness, which means that people just forget that our Canadian coastline is so big and it's so important because our population is more centered around the Great Lakes. And I know that geothermal is definitely something that's untapped in Canada, so it would kind of be neat if we could push more towards geothermal heating instead of fossil fuels. That's something that I I think would help from a Canadian perspective. You also go into the the fisheries, basically. So Mm -hmm. the fisheries are very problematic. Your film was very eye-opening to that. What's currently happening with the fisheries, and why is there so much fish waste?
1: Yeah. So fisheries are currently so heavily depleted. I mean, when I started making this movie, everybody was talking about the fact that 90% of the big fish were gone. And this was an alarming statistic. But now the latest stats that are coming out suggest that 90% of all fish are gone. So at every level, you know, large fish, medium fish, small fish, the, the, like pretty much all the life in the ocean, you know, it's been depleted by 90% on average, which is just insane. I mean, we've got industrial fisheries that are out in the ocean right now operating to make profit by taking life out of the ocean. You know, it's pretty much a free-for-all. They can just take and give nothing back. And so we've got things like trawling, um, which just scoops an enormous net through the ocean and catches everything in its path. And bottom trawling, which is like clear-cutting the ocean, basically the ocean floor. So if there's anything that lives there, like a coral or a sponge, it gets scooped up in this net so even if a fish managed to escape the net it wouldn't have a home to go back to there's long lining which are you know massive lines that stretch for miles with baited hooks on them that catch everything like small fish big fish sharks sea turtles seabirds so yeah Mm -hmm. just it's clear-cutting strip mining the ocean that's going on and every year 54 billion pounds of fish is caught as bycatch and just thrown back into the ocean, wasted. Um, Most of these fish don't survive when they're taken out of the water because they have air bladders in their bodies which explode on the way up because of the pressure differential. And certain fisheries, like, say, shrimp trawlers, you know, waste up to 80% of what they catch as bycatch. So, yeah, the waste is just incredible. But, yeah, it's pretty crazy what's going on. I mean, fisheries globally are subsidized to the tune of thirty five billion dollars a year. So this is, you know, government tax dollars that are funding these destructive industries to continue doing what they're doing and it's just wiping out life in the ocean at an alarming rate. And I think a lot of people don't realize that fish have a role to play. You know, fish that are alive in the ocean are important because they, they all have jobs to do in their communities and there is no surplus in nature. And I think it's also really important to understand that fish sequester carbon. So, right now, 90% of the fish are gone from the ocean. And if we let those fish come back, we could sequester an enormous amount of carbon dioxide just in that life. That, you know, I think fish are a lot more valuable living in the ocean than they are, you know, being taken out and sold for profit.
0: How do fish take out carbon from the ocean?
1: So, deep sea fish. When they sink to the bottom of the ocean, they pull carbon down with them. And, you know, there's a lot of processes in the ocean that sequester carbon, even things like krill. They come to the surface, they feed, they are taking out carbon, and then they go further down and they excrete their waste, and that sinks to the bottom. So a lot of the processes in the ocean involve life coming up from the depth, feeding on the plant life at the surface, and then sinking to the bottom and pulling the carbon down with them and then that carbon kind of gets locked away in the bottom of the ocean.
0: And if we're taking all the fish out, then there's no process left to do that. Exactly. That's really sad. Are fish going to, like, cat food and dog food?
1: Yeah. About 30% of the fish that are taken from the ocean every year go towards feeding domestic animals, so livestock, and, yeah, cat and dog food as well. So now we've got, like, pigs, chickens, cows, and house cats are eating more fish than all the world's sharks. It's crazy. crazy
0: I wonder if that's that. why when you look in the grocery store at eggs for example you'll see like with omega-3 you know yeah, that's true yeah for sure or it's baby kelp or fish or some sort of thing and I've heard that the krill is being caught and then made into omega-3 pills too so I suppose if you want to do something to help you could not take those <laughs> definitely
1: yeah no krill fisheries are so destructive it's crazy
0: I heard that there's a lot up in our Arctic Ocean actually that were just discovered. I watched a video recently, so that's that's kind of cool. That's actually oh, yeah. why I joined the the Navy in Canada um, like ten years ago, well eight years ago, because I wanted to go and protect our Arctic oceans. And Stephen Harper promised that we would have a deep sea port up in Nana Civic by 2014. He made mm-hmm. that promise in 2010. Uh, So I joined the Navy thinking that I would have this career protecting our Arctic waters from overfishing and tourism and dumping, and that never happened. Like, we don't even have a place to tie up to up there, Mm. so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah, that didn't really quite work out, but that's uh, typical of politics, I suppose. Right. Um, but yeah, like I kind of worry about our Arctic waters because as the Northwest Passage opens, it is a viable shipping lane and countries are saying that even though it technically is Canadian internal waters, they're not going to recognize it. So I I hope that we can do what we can to protect those waters when they open up to more traffic because there is a lot of life up there still. Mm-hmm. What was the most heartbreaking thing that you saw on your journey making this film?
1: The most heartbreaking thing that I saw was probably images from the past. When I was filming in the Florida Keys, I came across some pictures that were taken maybe 50 years ago, and it was of people pulling fish out of the ocean that were enormous, like bigger than anything you could ever find today. And just, I I ended up, you know, doing a lot more research into this and looking at pictures, a lot of pictures that were taken uh, about 50 years ago in the Florida Keys. And you can find hundreds of photographs of just the size and and the types of the species that they were taking out of the ocean back then. It's it's mind-blowing and heartbreaking because you realize that the ocean was a radically different place. At that time, it was teeming with life and teeming with species that I could only dream of seeing today. And, yeah, the, the fish were just so much bigger. The reefs were so much healthier. So it's really heartbreaking to see what we've lost in such a short period of time but I think it's also really important to have that baseline to understand what the ocean should look like at least that gives us some sense of an idea I mean it probably isn't even going back far enough but we need to understand an idea of what the ocean used to look like so that we can restore it
0: to what it should be absolutely you mentioned that too in your film when you went to Galapagos
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I went to the Galapagos Islands in order to kind of get a sense of the oceans of the past, because the Galapagos is one of the better protected areas of the ocean. I mean, there's still illegal fishing that goes on there, but definitely when you're in the Galapagos Islands, you see this abundance of life that is not present in most areas of the ocean. You know, there's big fish, and there's schools of hammerhead sharks, and there's sea turtles everywhere. I mean, I saw sea turtles that was like bigger than me, so that mm-hmm. was pretty crazy. Yeah, and you just you, you don't see that anymore in most parts of the ocean, but I think it's really important to have a sense of what the ocean should look like.
0: Galapagos is the most amazing place that I've ever been to. Absolutely. Um, It was like none of the animals were afraid. And that was a big takeaway for me. Right? Yeah. Like we could just, you could swim with them, you know, the fish would come up to you. The birds would come up to you. I had a penguin who was like, I don't know what you call it, like playing with his feathers, like cleaning himself or something. (laughs) And I was just floating with my snorkel and my mask. And the penguin just sort of floated with the waves and bumped me on the, The mask and then and then floated away and I thought this is like the best moment of my life. Oh yeah. It just hit me and doesn't even care.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. I know. I had a frigate bird trying to eat my snorkel when I was (laughs) snorkeling in the Galapagos. So yeah, the life there is pretty fearless of humans.
0: Yeah, it's actually yeah, it's amazing. That's really cool that you got to go there and you got to go to a lot of amazing places. I'm wondering, when you went to all these places, what was it like in terms of plastic in the oceans? Did you see a lot of plastic? I didn't see a lot of plastic in the ocean, and I think part of that might be because
1: as it gets further out in the places that I've been diving, it probably gets broken down into microplastics, so Mm -hmm. it might not be as easy to see. But I definitely saw a lot of plastic on the beaches, particularly in Florida. I mean, one morning I, I... like spent the entire morning picking up little pieces of plastic on a beach. And, you know, it it was like bits of a toothbrush and bottle caps and little fragments of things that I have no idea what they started out at. But, you know, I could spend the entire morning doing this, but I, I had only covered this small area of the beach, and it just stretched on for miles with plastic like this. So it's pretty crazy how inundated the ocean is becoming.
0: Absolutely. We just did a beach cleanup and bottle caps were the main thing we found. And I, I'm thinking maybe the bottles, because they're a thinner plastic, would probably break down quicker than the caps because the mm-hmm. caps are usually a harder plastic. Yeah. But yeah, we found lots of those and lots of balloons. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty sad to see all that stuff. And we're at the Great Lakes, so we're not even a bad area. Some people who are on the beach cleanup just got back from India and they said you can't even see the water in some places because it's just so covered in the, the plastic. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a a little bit sad. But I guess that's good that you didn't see it, but we do know that there's a lot of microplastics. That's the thing. It's out there and you might not even see it. Yeah, it just doesn't go away. It just gets smaller and smaller.
1: Yeah.
0: The protest. So it was a very powerful scene when the guy was singing in Paris. That was Mm -hmm. in Paris, right, when he was doing that? Yeah, that was a really powerful scene. And you were there. So what is the Paris Accord?
1: The Paris Accord is a non-legally binding, voluntary agreement among governments to limit warming of the Earth to 2 degrees Celsius, which is a little strange because I talked with a scientist who said that there's so much carbon in the atmosphere already that it wouldn't even be possible to limit warming to 2 degrees Celsius. But I suppose if we sequestered carbon out of the atmosphere, maybe we could reverse it, but ju- just what the governments are talking about doing is just reduction, percentage reductions in emissions, and that alone certainly wouldn't limit warming to 2 degrees Celsius. But even with the goals that the governments are setting, a lot of the governments aren't on track to stick with the targets that they've set. But even if every country did stick with the targets, even if it was possible to limit warming to 2 degrees with those targets, coral reefs can't survive warming above 1.5
0: degrees Celsius.
1: So the Paris Agreement is its definitely not going to be enough to save life in the ocean.
0: That's heartbreaking.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's important to understand that because it kind of proves that we've got to take control of what's going on. We can't wait around for government to do the right thing. They won't. We need to take the power into our own hands and do what's necessary to save life on Earth.
0: Exactly. And Rob Stewart was saying that, too. Like, the government are our civil servants. They're working for us, and we're paying them with our tax dollars. So they have to listen if our voices are big enough. Yeah. What is the biggest thing that you think we need to do right now as a global population to save the oceans?
1: Most importantly, we need to stop the destruction both in the ocean and on land because everything is connected. We need to stop taking fish out of the ocean you know and with industrial fishing at least, and we need to um you know stop cutting down the forest and if we did that, if we you know stepped back and allowed for life to come back. To the oceans and the land we could sequester an enormous amount of carbon we could probably sequester more carbon than we've emitted since the beginning of the industrial revolution and you know in letting that life come back we would be creating these thriving natural communities and solving a lot of the problems that are facing the oceans and the planet in general so i think that's where we need to be heading stopping the destruction and then letting life come back
0: absolutely and it's a it's a tough journey we have ahead of us but there are a number of people who are working on it my goal is to reduce all of these unnecessary things that i don't need and then help other people realize that they don't need them either so like plastic water bottles is sort of the number 1 thing that i find easiest for people to get rid of then you don't have factories making them you don't have the transportation costs, which are also producing carbon, you know, and then you don't have the litter or the landfill or these plastics getting broken down into the ocean. If you just bring your own water bottle, I'm trying to find like simple solutions that people can sort of do on their own. Are there other things that you could recommend sort of on a daily basis that individuals can do like that would help us every day?
1: I always recommend that people do the biggest thing that they can possibly think of because the scale of the problem is so massive that what we really need right now is people dedicating their lives to this and and putting all the energy that they can into turning things around. So I think it's really important for people to, you know, if there's something you're good at or if there's a skill you want to learn, like take whatever it is that you can do and put that towards saving the natural world because we really need Everything. We need people in all areas. We need people communicating. We need people organizing. We need people, you know, doing actions and and just pretty much every skill you could imagine, there's going to be a use for it. And uh, I would say don't underestimate your power. I mean, one person can make such an enormous difference. And I think it's really important to be strategic and to funnel our energies towards the projects and the actions that are going to have the biggest impact.
0: Absolutely. you can definitely 100% make an impact just as one person. Um, you can make a huge impact, and it's been that way throughout history, if you think of some of the big names in history, you know, that are just one person that yeah. are making a change. So um, it it works. And when you start making a change, you know, people rally behind you because people do care, and the mission to reduce carbon and to reduce all this waste is a very noble one that I think people really can get behind once they understand. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. When you started the movie back when you were 16, you mentioned that you were fearful of two things, airplanes and scuba diving. <laughs> and the whole movie is about airplanes and scuba diving. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> two How things did... that you don't want to
1: be afraid of if you're going to make yeah. a movie. Yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs> and it looked like you were doing a good job doing both of those things. <laughs> <laughs> How did you overcome those fears to make this movie?
1: Um, when I learned about what was happening to the natural world, the fears that I had had before that kind of paled in comparison to the idea of losing everything that it, I loved. I mean, it, it kind of felt like I had nothing to lose and that, you know, all I could do at that point was just to put all the effort I could into doing this. So, yeah, I kind of had to force myself to do the things that I had, previously been afraid of but it wasn't as difficult as I thought it would be because I you know I had this task calling me to do it and and yeah it really just felt like I didn't have a choice at that point it was just it was what was necessary um some really great advice that Rob had given on how to deal with fear was don't think about it till you're there and I think that's really awesome because a lot of fear is just something that we create in our heads you know it isn't real And so if you can avoid thinking about it until you absolutely have to, then it gives you a lot less of an opportunity to chicken out. You just have to trust that you're going to be able to deal with it when you get there.
0: Mm -hmm. How many countries did you go to when you were filming the movie? Uh, I went to seven countries. That's awesome. So yeah, what was the most beautiful thing you saw in the ocean on your journey?
1: Mm. Tough question because everything in the ocean is absolutely beautiful. Um, My favorite species in the ocean is the great hammerhead shark, so that's the one that you see um, me swimming with at the beginning and the end of the movie. They're the biggest species of hammerhead on the planet, and I think they're absolutely beautiful. But something else that was a total surprise when I was making this movie was meeting garden eel in Cabo Pulmo. I hadn't expected them to be there. I didn't even know they existed in that part of the ocean. I was there to film big schools of fish, but I went down on this dive, and the first thing I saw was garden eels popping out of the sand. And garden eels were something that I had seen in, like, an underwater movie when I was a kid, and I just always thought they were the coolest thing. So I was pretty mesmerized by them. And I've got to say that's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen underwater. They're just hypnotically beautiful. And... If it was up to me, I would have spent the entire dive just watching them, but I had some fish to film.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Are they the ones that kind of look like worms a little bit popping out of the sand? Yeah, yep. They're (laughs) so cute.
1: They are adorable.
0: Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I remember that from the film. So I purchased your film on your website so it's seaoflifemovie.com is that right yep that's right seaoflifemovie.com yeah I think it was like nine dollars and something so it's definitely worth it to to purchase a film and then and you can rent it too so if you don't want to spend that much you can actually pay like a few dollars and rent it as well yeah If our listeners are interested in in watching it that way, they can. And then I wanted to ask you how it works if, say, some listeners wanted to, like, host an event or something. Um, Is there a different price that they pay to show it to a group? Um, Yeah, and it's sort
1: of a sliding scale. I mean, if they don't have a budget for it, I'm always happy to let people do free screenings. But if they do have a budget for it, that's awesome because I'll put all the money towards making my next
0: movie. Oh, you're making a next movie. I am, yeah. Can you tell us about it?
1: Uh, definitely. So my next film is going to be exposing the biggest scandal in the environmental movement. So it's taking kind of a different turn. But I learned some information during the making of this film that made me really want to pursue this as a next movie. A lot of the things that are being promoted as solutions to the problems facing the planet are actually highly destructive to the environment. So I think it's really important to kind of shed light on that and make sure that people who want to protect the natural world are putting their efforts towards things that will have a positive impact.
0: Absolutely. Do you have an example of sort of one of those things?
1: Uh, sure. There's lots of those things. One of them is solar panels. So what people, I think, don't realize about this is that there's kind of this idea that these technologies just pop up and they're, you know, called zero emissions, for example. But people don't realize that there's an entire process that goes into making them, which involves mining and manufacturing and shipping. And all of these things are very carbon-intensive. And uh, they destroy rivers. They destroy mountains. Uh, there's a lot of uh, rare earth minerals that go into them. And all of these things add up. So, yeah, these these things that we're, we're told are, like, zero emissions are, in fact, highly destructive to the
0: environment absolutely you know I interviewed a geologist who used to work in the oil and gas industry in Alberta and she recently switched to renewables because she just didn't want to work for that or like you know for that industry for yeah. obvious reasons and she said the worst thing you can do in terms of waste uh, because this is the zero waste countdown podcast she said is buy solar voltaic cells because they're constantly evolving and and changing right. so if you buy a solar panel today, in 5 or 10 years, you know, you h- would have to buy a new one because they're going to be like so much more efficient by then. Yeah. That you don't want to be running these old ones and then you can't recycle those things, so they're just going to go sit in landfill.
1: Definitely.
0: Yeah, so um that's very interesting. And I call it greenwashing. So, and I see this yeah. all the time. Like even on a shampoo bottle they'll say, you know, we're we're healthy for the environment because we do this and that, but it's like you're using these plastic Containers like what if you started a refill program or something? You know, there's <laughs> things you could do that are much more green. And even with dog bags, so I moved to the country, so I don't have to use dog bags anymore. But I had trouble finding dog bags um, for you know picking up dog waste in the city because a lot of them will say they're green or biodegradable. But what people don't know is when you throw those bags with poop into the trash, they're just gonna go to landfill and they're never gonna break down because. Right. There's no oxygen in landfill, and nothing breaks down in landfill. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that to me is like an example of greenwashing, and I'm sure you're going to have much bigger examples, but, you know, if people have energy, you want to put it in the right place and be doing the best thing you can. Definitely. So that's, that's good. I can't wait. Uh, I can't wait to see it.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited to get it out. Hopefully I'll be able to finish it a lot faster than the first movie.
0: How long did the first movie take? Three years. Well, it was an incredible film, and it was just stunning photography. The hammerheads that you swam with, were they in Galapagos? No, they were actually in Bimini in the Bahamas. Ah, cool. When I was in Galapagos, people who had their dive certs had the opportunity to go dive with the hammerhead sharks, Mm -hmm. but I didn't. So I didn't get to go, Yeah, but I went and got my dive cert after that cool (laughs) just in case those opportunities ever came um it is I find it a little bit scary to be underwater like that but it is it's a totally different world like it's just pretty incredible so hopefully those corals are there for everyone to enjoy in the future because we're this global population and we all have to work together yeah Well, Julia, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Your film is amazing. I encourage listeners to watch it. It's eye-opening, and it really sort of illustrates the problem of carbon and what's happening to the oceans and why we should save the oceans and the beauty that's in it. So thank you so much, and I wish you all the best on your new film. Can't wait to see it. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. Take care, Julia. Bye. Bye. This week on my countdown to zero waste, I've decided to never buy another thing that comes from the ocean. If you like our show, you can follow me on Instagram at Zero Waste Countdown. That's zero underscore waste underscore countdown. And if you have any questions or ideas for the show, you can email me, Laura at Zero Waste Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast.